0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with HowStuffWorks, and I love all things tech, and it's time for another classic episode of Tech Stuff. This episode about slow motion film and high-speed photography originally published on October 3rd, 2011. Wow, I've been doing this a long time. So this episode is where Chris Pellett and I take a close look at the technologies behind slow motion film and high-speed photography, which are closely related. What is necessary to make those work, specifically in the world of film, uh, more so in film than in video. So I hope you enjoy this classic episode. Today, we wanted to talk about high speed photography and slow motion. Both of these have to do with uh, uh, changing film speeds and shutter speeds and all this kind of stuff. Uh, to really talk about how this stuff works, we have to go a little bit more basic. We have to actually talk about the principles behind photography and how a camera works. And before we really get into this, how stuff works has dozens of great articles about photography including articles about how high-speed photography works and how burst photography works both of those were written by John Fuller but we also have how cameras work how photographic film works so if you want to learn more than what you know we're going to kind of cover the basics but if you really want to know the the true science and chemistry and physics behind how cameras work I highly recommend you check out those articles because they will answer a lot more questions we're gonna try and, and kind of cover the basics here yeah so uh, so let's uh let's talk about what a camera does it, it's <laughs> seems kind of silly to say, because we're most of us are really familiar with cameras. And by the way, I should point out also that we're really focusing on film. <laughs> film. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, it was completely not on purpose. Um, we're talking about film cameras mainly in this podcast, as opposed to digital. The two different methods, you know, you get the, you get a result that's similar using these two methods. You know, you get a, an image of a moment in time in both ways, but the actual mechanics behind film versus digital are very different. So we're specifically looking at, I was going to say focus again, looking at film cameras because, uh, well, to to, to try and cover both would require like a podcast that's twice as long as what we normally do.
0: Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. And we only do that for Google+. (laughs) Plus. Well, uh,
0: cameras in general, though, uh, and speaking of both film and digital mm-hmm. you're 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 using uh, a series of um devices to capture that image there mm-hmm. on on both film and digital you of course you've got a lens yes um and there is uh the the principle behind it is to capture the image on on film you're using a uh a piece of essentially plastic uh, celluloid to that's treated with chemicals yes. that captures that image, and in a digital camera, you use an image sensor. Right. Um, but uh, you know, and, and there are some similarities. Of course, it it has to do with how fast the camera is firing um, and how much light you're letting in through the lens. Right. Um, and after that, they they do differ
1: Quite considerably. Yes. Yes. So with a with a film camera. You know, Chris was just talking about it a second ago, but what, you know, the main, the medium upon which you are capturing Mm. these images is film. And film is really just a a strip of plastic that's been treated with, uh, with chemicals that are photoreactive. Yes. That means that the chemicals will undergo some sort of change when exposed to light. So. They turn into monsters. If you've listened to our solar, if you listen to our solar panel episode, you know that we have discovered Materials that react when light hits it. The photons from the light uh, transfer energy to whatever that medium is, and you get a reaction. In this case, the photons are able to change the the chemical properties of the stuff that's on this film. And to really get into that would be diving deep into science. We do have, like I said, the article on how photo how how film photographic film works, and that Mm -hmm. explains it. But um. To be honest, if I were to try and go into it right now, I'm sure I would mess it up because, you know, my my chemistry is only goes so far. My chemistry foo is weak.
0: <laughs> chemistry foo?
1: But at any rate, what this the stuff is uh, designed so that when light hits it, it has a chemical change. Then when you treat it with other chemicals, that's what allows you to create a negative image of whatever it was you were uh Whatever light hit it. So this is why when you have film, people say you know make sure you don't expose it to light before, before or after you take a photo because if you do, it's going to ruin the image. Right, because um, the film is
0: going to record the, the light from the that, that is coming to it through the lens. Yes. So of course, when you put the canister of film inside your camera and load your camera, you close the door, which blocks off any light. Right, um, and then of course you have to advance the film after you've taken a photo. If you if you've ever uh, exposed film more than once,
1: yeah, double exposure. Yeah, you get a really bizarre effect.
0: It, yeah, yeah, and it can be very very cool if that's what you're going for. It can also be really frustrating if you were trying to capture one thing in particular and forgot to advance the film.
1: Right, and and we've even seen that double exposures go into. Uh, uh, the realm of people thinking that something supernatural is going on. Mm-hmm. Because it, you do get kind of a ghostly image if you double expose film. Yeah. So there have been times where people have had just a double exposure. That's all it is. But because they didn't realize it was a double exposure, they think, wow, I took this photo of my buddy Bob, and there's this ghostly face that's appearing over his left shoulder. That's so creepy and not for- and forgetting that, oh, before I took the photo of Bob, I took a photo of Liz. It's just that Bob's photo was exposed Exposed over Liz's photo, and now Liz looks like she's a ghost.
0: Actually, I thought it was because Bob worked at that leaky nuclear plant. It's
1: because we took all those he photos that over head. that Indian burial ground. That was the mistake we oh. made. Anyway, um, uh, the, 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 uh, I- I the idea here is that the camera gives you a very controlled way to expose that film to light, and... Uh, the way this works is that first you've got the lens, and the lens's purpose is to direct light to the film. Mm-hmm. So the lens is uh, allowing light to pass through. Uh, when light passes through a lens, it actually – the speed of the light changes. Mm-hmm. You know, Speed of light is a constant, but it's a constant that's based upon whatever the medium it is that it's traveling through.
0: Right. For right. example, air.
1: Yeah, Air, it's going to travel through, uh, it, light travels through air much more quickly than it will a lens. And the curvature of the lens, the thickness of the lens, that's all going to make the light travel at, at slightly different speeds. The point being that you focus all the, this light onto a point so that it, it exposes just the right spot on the film. Now, behind that, you've also got uh, a device called the aperture. Mm-hmm. Now the aperture is essentially a a hole. It's a it's a, it's a disc that can expand or contract and allow more or less light to pass through the uh, from the lens to the film. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a barrier between the lens and the film, and you adjust this in order to uh, to really kind of tweak your photo settings. Like with a with a manual camera, a manual single lens reflex camera or SLR, manual mm-hmm. SLR. Uh, now, by the way, in case you're curious, for those of you who are only familiar with digital cameras, a manual single lens reflex camera is not electric at all. It's it uses chemicals and it uses uh, mechanical little gears and things, but there's there are no electric components necessarily in a true manual single lens reflex, or at least you don't have to have any electronics. Yeah, components. I think that's yeah. So, in other words. It's kind of interesting because we we take it for granted now with digital cameras, right? Digital cameras you have lots of electronic components, but with a a an old manual single lens reflex, you're just you you're just turning little dials, which is advancing the film. You might have to r- turn a little crank to rewind film, but there's nothing necessarily electronic in it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there are hybrids that as well, but uh, anyway, this uh, the aperture helps you determine how much light can enter through the lens. And uh, then you have something else called the shutter. Yes. And the shutter determines how long the film is exposed to that light. hmm So if you were to take a photograph with a shutter speed that is a, you know, it, it allows the shutter to be open longer, then your photo is going to be a little more blurry unless the subject of your photo is incredibly still. Mm-hmm. So if the camera is still and the subject is still and you've got a decent amount of lighting and the shutter is open longer theoretically as long as as long as the light's not too great uh, you will actually get a very clear image mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's it's really capturing that uh, that moment um, now if something's moving then you're gonna get a blur so if you've ever looked at some nighttime photography uh especially for like cityscapes where you can see... Uh, where traffic is moving through, and it's like beautiful red streaks on one side of the road and white streaks on the other. That you know, that's obviously the traffic where cars are coming and going. That's usually using a camera with a a shutter speed where the shutter's remaining open longer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can be as long as you know minutes or or more, and that creates that streaking effect because. Uh, all that light is hitting the camera over uh, an extended time. So instead of seeing individual cars, you're seeing these streaks. Yeah, this this has, basically it's a, a combination
0: of things. It's a combination of the aperture setting that you're using to expose the film, uh, the the shutter speed, and um, there are cameras that you can manually hold the shutter open uh, as long as you want to. It's often better and Creating the, the photos like Jonathan was just talking about where you leave it open for minutes to have your camera on a tripod and use a cable release, you know, just so that you don't nudge the camera because otherwise you're going to uh, jar the picture and, and distort things. So, yeah, it also has to do with the speed of the film and uh it, it's funny because that's sort of a misnomer you know there aren't little canisters of film moving faster than others it has to do with the chemical properties actually Look at of it the go. Film. <laughs> um and again we're not going to get into the the chemistry behind it so much um but uh you know depending on the speed of the film you would be able to capture uh photos in darker environments or lighter environments mm. um also the uh the speed of the film has is Depending on the, on the, the type of photography you're doing, if you're trying to capture high or, or fast motion photography, you're going to want uh, something that you can expose um, w- to light more frequently, like a higher speed film.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you want something that's going to to just from a very brief exposure be able to capture an image. Right. And and by exposure, we're talking about exposing to light. Just keep that in mind, that that exposure has everything to do with the amount of light and the uh, duration of light that hits that film. So a high-speed film can capture an image with light hitting it for a, a shorter time frame. And we're talking fractions of a second here. You know, when we talk about a short time frame, we're talking really short. We're not talking like, oh, well, you know, 1,000, 2,000. No, you would be able to take hundreds of photos in the amount of time it took me to say that, depending on the speed of the film and the the shutter speed and all of this kind of uh, stuff. Chris and I will have a lot more to say about slow motion film and high speed photography in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. So high speed photography kind of leads us into this. Uh, high speed photography is all about trying to capture uh, an image of something that's moving at an incredible speed, something that that is moving so fast that to the naked eye, it may be either a blur or perhaps even, you know practically invisible because it's going so quickly. But you want to be able to capture that moment in time so that you can see a very distinct image. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a challenge. You have to figure out how are you going to do that. And there are a couple different ways. Perhaps, I hesitate to say the easiest way, but perhaps the simplest way is to set up your camera in a perfectly dark room. Yeah. And you just leave the shutter open. Because remember, even though the shutter's open, that film, if there's no light, the film's not being exposed. So you've got this film that's just sitting there. Nothing's happening to it. It's not reacting chemically at all because there's no light coming into the camera. Mm -hmm. You set up whatever the thing is you want to take a photo of, and then you have it timed out so that the instant that thing happens, there is a flash of light. Right. That is up and down in a fraction of a second. And just that fraction of a second is going to be long enough for the light to go through the camera and uh, and to expose the film. Then you could advance the frame and do it again. Now, this is a very slow, painstaking process, and it requires an, an incredible amount of timing. And there are a lot of different ways of setting up a shot so that the uh, the, the light will trigger at the right moment. Some of them are acoustically triggered. So that there's a noise, and that noise causes the light to flash, which automatically exposes the film in the camera. You don't have Mm -hmm. to do anything to the camera at that point, Mm -hmm. right? You're not pushing a button because the camera shutter is already open. It's only after the light is flashed that you have to advance the film so that you can take another photo. Otherwise, you're going to have a double exposure, high-speed double exposure on this this film, Mm -hmm. which I think would look really weird. Um, so that's one way you can do it. But of course, if you want to take a high speed photo of something in nature, for example, the, 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 the an example that a lot of people use is a hummingbird. Because mm-hmm. a hummingbird can beat its wings so quickly that with most cameras, if you took a camera, a picture of a hummingbird with a, a standard camera, it's going to look like a bird with two blurs next to it, mm-hmm. right? You won't be able to see the wings. Um, but if you use a high speed camera where it's able to move the shutter, at a really fast rate and you have a pretty well-lit environment, Mm -hmm. uh, then you might be able to capture an image of a hummingbird where you've got its wings perhaps in the up or down position and you can get a really clear look at that bird. Uh, But it does require that you have a camera that can move that shutter speed at a really, really fast rate and that you have high-speed film that's capable of taking light for a incredibly brief exposure time and convert that into an image. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, if you're a, a, a Tech Stuff listener normally, um, that we like to get into the history of things. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily have, have thought of high-speed photography as, I would have thought it was a more modern, um, something that was a more modern phenomenon. But really, the history of high-speed photography goes back just about as long as the history of photography itself um the first uh, example that i i read about um uh from a a uh, an article by Lincoln L Endelman uh which was uh H- William Henry Fox Talbot's uh trial where he basically uh, exposed a a piece of the London Times newspaper that was on a wheel that he attached it to and he was using a wet plate Camera, which is basically a piece of glass that's treated with chemicals rather than a film camera.
1: Interesting. I had never heard of that before. But
0: it was 1851.
1: Yeah, I have heard of the camera obscura, which, by the way, you can actually build one of those yourself if you ever wanted to. Uh, But I'd never heard of the wet plate camera. That's interesting. uh, And
0: for a flash, he was using Leyden jars, elimination from Leyden jars. This is like the coolest camera ever. But he used (laughs) Yes, and cumbersome because you know you don't really take this thing out to go yeah. take shots of the family on vacation. Right?
1: I'm out to the high school football game. Let me carry my laden jars and wet plate camera with me. But uh, I'm going to need the team's help setting this up. But uh, he did manage to get a, a, a
0: readable photo of the newspaper at a shutter speed of one two thousandth. Of uh, second. Well, an wow. exposure speed, let's say that. I'm not That's sure phenomenal. it actually used a yeah, shutter no, as we think shutter, of it. Right. But uh, you also probably remember Edward Mybridge.
1: I remember the name, yes.
0: Yes. He he had a famous experiment where um, he had set up a series of cameras to because there was a, a challenge. Um, you may have heard of this guy, uh, um, Layden. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You may have heard of this guy, uh, Leland Stanford. Uh. He was the uh, governor of California and he was. That that was the challenge was, does a horse pick up all four of its feet when it's running? And he was the one, Mybridge, and a lot of people have seen this, uh, seen this series of photos where they proved that the horse was picking up all four of its feet because he had a series of cameras and the the horse was tripping it as it ran by, and so each camera took photos, a uh, different a different way of doing it. But they captured a series of still photos because as the horse was running by, it took, you know, each camera in turn took a, uh, a still photo. And when you put them all together, you get... Essentially, slow motion yeah. of this horse running.
1: Yeah, and, we'll, and yes,
0: it does pick up all of its feet.
1: <laughs> when we'll get in, and we'll get into that in a little bit because, of course, uh, the photography does lead into cinematography. But uh, before we do, I, uh, before we jump into that, I just wanted to mention one other kind because I did mention burst photography when we were first introducing this podcast, and that um, that John Fuller, uh, editor extraordinaire, uh, wrote the article on how burst photography works. Burst photography works on a similar principle of high speed photography. Now with high speed photography, you may be talking about taking a single image and then setting up and taking another single image. Right? Right. I, I speed- look, I'm pointing I'm pointing my camera at a hummingbird and I take one photo.
0: Right. The point of the high speed photography here is to capture a very accurate still.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something that's going to be you know, it's really used a lot in things like uh, sports, you know, trying to catch or capture that dramatic moment where the quarterback is releasing the Hail Mary pass. I'm saying that right. Right. Because I don't know anything about football
0: or, you know, the uh, people who absolutely positively have to have that shot of the water balloon after the Balloon is broken and the water is still in the balloon shape. Right, but or the apple with the bullet through it. But clearly,
1: this sort because of that has to happen. Yeah, this sort of this sort of event is, of course, really hard to capture on film. Not just because of the nature of the the mechanics, where you know you've got to have a a, a camera with that proper shutter speed and film with that proper um, uh, chem- photochemical reaction speed. You also have to have insane timing. Yes, and even by setting up an automated system where everything's going to happen automatically. You know, as soon as the event happens, it triggers the camera. Even that is really difficult to do. So perhaps what if you could have a camera that could shoot a series of photos in a very short amount of time using that same kind of uh, uh, principle? Well, that's what burst photography is all about. These Mm -hmm. are cameras that have not just the really fast shutter speed and not just the special film that's going to to react quickly to a very brief exposure but also the ability to advance film rapidly as you're taking photos Mm -hmm. so with a burst photography camera it's pulling the film through very quickly and the shutter is opening and closing causing multiple exposures but you're not not a double exposure because you're you know, the film's being pulled through as you're, as you're doing this so that you can take a series of photos in a brief amount of time. So like in a second or two, you might take dozens or more photos. And this way, uh, the nice thing about this is that you can point your camera at whatever the event is and just start shooting photos until you're out of film and you have a better chance of capturing that iconic moment you're after as a photographer.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, this is one of those times if, if you haven't really done a lot of work with, uh, people who are, uh, professional photographers and you might be going, well, last time I bought film, I only had 24 exposures on a roll. Uh, you can buy, you know, if, if you are interested in doing this, uh, you can buy whole magazines of film. And you know, attach them to the back of your camera where you have a a very very long roll, or you can of course make your own uh, if you're so inclined. And are good in the dark. I I, <laughs> I used to have to do, actually I was a newspaper reporter for a couple years, and uh-huh. um, you know we'd have a, a big roll of film, and we'd load the magazines our, or the uh, the cartridges ourselves. And uh, after a while, you get pretty practiced at it. <laughs> the first few times. Uh, wasted some film. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so this is sort of, uh, one of those times when digital cameras sort of have an advantage because now that we have bigger memory cards and better digital photography, um, the digital cameras are, are so much easier and more cost effective, <laughs> yeah. uh, than, than film cameras in this regard. But the, uh, the burst photography is amazing, especially if you are, you know, it, it allows you to set up and have a much better shot at getting your shot
1: <laughs> right. than, than then just, just, just clicking and hoping that you got it. Yeah. 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 Well, this kind of leads us, like I said, into cinematography, mm-hmm. yeah, using film to capture uh, images in motion where you are going to play it back so that you have the illusion of motion. So remember, film, as in like, I'm going to the movies to watch a film, is... The, the illusion of movement. And it works because we capture uh, lots of images and then we put them in order and we, uh, we expose our eyeballs to those images uh, very, in rapid succession. And that creates the illusion of movement. Mm-hmm. So uh, the typical film projector will play back film at a rate of around 24 frames per second which means that every second that passes you're looking at 24 images. Yep, 24 photographs essentially is what that is. So you're looking at 24 photographs in a row per second and because of that it sort of gives us it gives this the illusion of the things that you're looking at are really moving. Mm. It's not that you're looking at instances that are put together it's like it feels like a flowing motion that has no, uh, no real interruption to it.
0: I think it's interesting to note too that when you're, you're saying 24 frames per second, that's each frame is one 24th of a second. That seems pretty fast. Yeah. But, uh, in my research on high speed photography, I saw mentions of one eight thousandth of a second. Yeah. Um, of course that would take a whole lot of film. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to note that one 24th of a second is reasonable enough to give us an, an idea of motion and to create that illusion for us.
1: Right. Before we conclude this classic episode of Tech Stuff, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. So if you have a projector that's going to play film back at a steady rate, so let's let's go with the twenty-four frames per second. Okay. But uh you have a camera that can take that can actually expose film at a variable rate. Mm-hmm. That's where you can start playing with the slow motion or fast sped up motion on film. So if you've ever watched an old movie where, for comic effect, usually uh, characters start moving around really, really quickly, you know, like there's a chase scene and suddenly everyone's running at a speed that doesn't really look natural. Well, is Yakety Sax playing? Y- Yakety Sax may very well be playing. And that's enough of that. Um before I get sued. And uh anyway, yeah, so this this is playing with taking more images per second and then playing it back at a steady speed. Um now in the old days, the good old days of filmmaking, I remember those days. You had cameras that were hand cranked, which meant that you had a cameraman, or camera woman really, camera person. Um turning a crank that squirrels. was <laughs> squirrels, possibly turning a crank at hopefully a fairly consistent speed for normal filming uh, to advance the film through the camera as it's being exposed to light. And the idea being that uh, you want to turn the camera at a, a good rate so that when you're projecting it back through the projector, it's a steady, smooth experience. Ready when you are, DB. So yeah, so this this camera is not automated. It's 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 man powered, right? Yep. And people are known to be, you know, imperfect. Yeah, not terribly consistent sometimes. Um. So yeah, if you turned the crank faster than normal, you'd be exposing more film in the same amount of time than you would if you were going at your normal rate. Which and, and when you're playing it back, remember you're playing it back at a uh, at a, a fixed rate. So right. if you've captured more images in that amount of time than normal, then you get the effect of slow motion, right? Because while you've uh, while you've captured maybe say uh, you know forty eight images, and then uh, you know so you're looking at forty eight images over the space of a of two seconds, uh, if it were played back at normal speed. Now you're looking at it at one second, while everything starts to slow down.
0: That could be distracting. Yeah.
1: So this is a, that's over cranking. Yes. It's when you're cranking the camera faster than uh, the projection playback speed there 's also under cranking where you turn the the crank slower than the projection speed. this causes a sort of the herky jerky fast motion stuff that you see especially in older films mm-hmm. where um, uh, people start to are moving faster than they normally could and often it looks a little jumpy because you 're missing information right it, the, the, the m- more amount of time you have between when two images are taken. For something that's in motion, the less natural it's going to look when it, when you're playing it back, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. so if I took a picture of Chris right now, and then three seconds later took another picture, and three seconds later took another picture until I had you know 200 photos, and I played them back at a at a regular speed, uh, where it, it would look really really jerky, you know, it wouldn't look natural at all. Mm-hmm. And jerky, not just because of the subject matter. <laughs> But um, bum
0: It's only because I've been dried and cured.
1: All right. So uh, you may have heard of the term of speed ramping. Speed ramping is when you, in the the good old days, it was done by accident. But today we do it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Speed ramping is when you change the capture rate of uh, the film or video Mm -hmm. during a shoot. And this is where you get those weird effects where, like, it's often done in action sequences. Uh For example, let's say it's a fist fight between two characters, and it starts out normal, and one character starts to throw a punch, and just as the character's throwing a punch, it switches so it goes into slow motion. And then just as the punch makes contact with the other person, it speeds up again. Mm-hmm. And it changes uh the, the capture rate, but the playback rate remains constant. That's what we call speed ramping. And uh, there are certain directors who are... Infamous for speed ramping. Um, just, you know, if you ever have seen the movie 300 or Watchmen, you know one of the ones I'm talking about. He uses <laughs> speed ramping so much that it's distracting at times for some people. Other people love it. I I personally think a little goes a long way. I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> anyway, th- they're all based on the same principle. The fact that if you keep the playback rate steady and you change the capture rate you can you can make film appear to move slower or faster um, now you could also play with the playback rate mm-hmm. if you kept the capture rate the same and you changed the playback rate you would get the same effect right you would you would either try and display more images per second or fewer images per second than normal and you you could get the same effect. This is a lot easier to do in video than it is in film. Sure, sure. But it's funny to note again that
0: uh like so many other things in photography that the key to slow motion is high-speed photography. Yeah. Um to to really get an idea of what's happening and slow it down, you have to capture many images so that you can you can go from image to image at a slower rate and really get a, a good idea of, of the motion and how things are transpiring uh, in that image.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you if you take an uh, a, a, a video of something or a film of something and it's at eight thousand frames per second and you play it back on a twenty four frames per second projector, it's going to take you a long time to get through. Like even if you only shot for maybe. Five seconds you know that's going to take you a long time to get through those five seconds when you're playing it back at a rate of 24 frames per second so then you get this incredible slow motion effect where at times it may look like nothing is even moving because everything is you know you're capturing such tiny moments of time that it's hard for us to detect changes until they are dramatic changes and uh, this is where you can you can see some of those really cool effects where, like Chris was saying, the the water balloon, where you pop the uh, the balloon and the water has retained the balloon shape for a couple of a couple of split seconds, like moments in time, and then you start to see it you know, of course, fall uh, that that's I, we've seen some really cool footage because of the this
0: uh this technique. and you can too. If you go to the the howstuffworks.com site, we have a lot of clips from the Discovery show Time Warp, yeah, um, which was was really popular a couple years ago because it showed extreme slow motion, yeah, using and
1: amazing s- high definition slow motion cameras that are taking thousands of uh, frames of footage per second and then playing it back at normal speed.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's absolutely amazing. I can, I can watch them all the time. Yeah. I, you know, even the ones I've seen before, you know, I can, I can go back and watch them just because they're, it's so fascinating how, how well that works. I love the ones where people get slapped
1: <laughs> and you just see the, 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 face deform. Oh yeah. Slowly. Yeah. Wow. That's what happens whenever I say anything to anyone. That's insane. I'm, I'm constantly con oh yeah. my face is hurting yeah. I got slapped just before this podcast actually
0: yeah but it was you that did it that's true uh,
1: anyhow <laughs> I, I never said that it was necessarily caused by someone else
0: that's true that's true but yeah I mean you can you can uh, you can see that right now they're they're still up there and I think when we we post this we'll probably I'm pretty sure there's a playlist we can we can show people yeah this. yeah yeah um, yeah, it that just it's just a lot of fun to do that and it's a lot of fun to to fool around with high speed photography just as a you know just as somebody who's a hobbyist. Yeah. Um to see what you can do with it and
1: Now granted if you want to get like a a really good high speed camera, this can be an expensive hobby. Yeah. I mean if you're talking about a top of the line uh kind of setup, then you're you're looking at thousands of dollars so it's not a cheap hobby necessarily but it is really it's really cool no and then you know if you're if you're really staging things too yeah um, yeah of course then you yeah, have got the whole staging costs and stuff
0: yeah and you're starting to talk about again because it is a matter of of uh the camera detecting the image and and getting synchronized with the the event that you're trying to photograph yeah. and yeah um you know you have to buy the equipment to do that we were talking about the sound equipment there. are setups that require you know that that the sound will tr- uh, cause the the uh, camera to fire and you know this is yeah. again you're having to buy more gear
1: um, but it's, it's, it's fun. If you can, if you can afford it. It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So, uh, yeah, this wraps up, uh, our discussion about high speed photography, slow motion cameras in general, film. Uh, this stuff is really, really interesting. In fact, it's so interesting to me that uh, when I look at the complexity of these devices, I mean, the, the principle is pretty simple. From a high concept point of view. But when I started looking at the ingenuity that was required to bring a camera into reality, uh, I just, mm-hmm. it's phenomenal to me. Again, it's one of those things where we take it for granted now because they're everywhere. I mean, we have cameras incorporated into practically every mobile device you could think of. But the principles I mean, behind it, I mean, it's just, it's just phenomenal. Amazing that we figured this out. Yeah, I mean, think and by about, we I mean people way smarter than I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you think about how the difference in the early cameras, the you know daguerreotypes and and the wet plate type devices versus the tiny little cameras in our smartphones yeah. and you know
1: shoes and everything else. Yes, um, uh, I don't want any shoe cameras. Well, that wraps up this classic episode of tech stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed this trip back in time where Chris Palat and I looked at slow-motion film and high-speed photography. It was a lot of fun to go back and revisit that. I'm actually enjoying going through the archives and picking out episodes for you guys to listen to, stuff that you probably haven't heard unless you are a long-time listener. If you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, send me a message. The email address is techstuff@howstuffworks.com, or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
0: howstuffworks.com.